Good morning. Actually, I mean, I mean, do we really even need to do this after hearing from Mike and Carrie? It's, I mean, what, what, what can I say? Um, in all seriousness, uh, seeing the way that um, what 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 began with just them at a at a beach at a beach night. Um, has has grown into something that has uh, changed a lot of lives in Haiti, but uh, in some ways, more importantly, for us here, it's changed the way we've seen the world. Um, I'm proud to say that this church has now grown to unbelievable missions. Uh, Camp Allendale began in this congregation, you know, years and years ago, ministering to abused children. And now, uh, Haiti has, has grown up right here with us. Um, it's, just, it's, it's, an, it's an incredible thing to be able to be a part of what God's doing in the world, to see how we can participate with that, to watch as he does miracles through us. Mike and Carrie, thank you guys. Thanks for being there. Um, is it, let's let's get the text up. Let's do that. So I I have a, you'll you'll notice that you have a, a lot of notes uh, to take today. There's going to be a lot of slides. No, I'm just kidding. There's no notes, and this is the only slide. So, um, well, uh, don't don't look in your don't look in your uh, in your your bulletins for any titles to this message. We're, this is a, an untitled message. We're going to develop the title together. Um, and to that end, also you'll notice I've taken away all the verse numbers, everything. So we've, all we've got right here is just the text for today. It comes from Luke 7. And I, I'm going to read the text. We're going to sort of read it together. And while I'm doing that, I want you to be thinking, well, Tom's obviously unprepared. So, so somebody needs to come up with a title for the sermon. Um, and as we read the text, I want, I want you to do that. Maybe even just jot it down on, on the back of your bulletin or on your spouse's hand or, or something. What, if, you were, if you were to get up and, and, and give a sermon today, what would you title uh, the sermon based on, on, what, on what we read? It's a little story from Jesus. So, let's read together. Soon afterwards, he went to a town called Nain. And his disciples and a, loud, and a large crowd went with him. This is Jesus, by the way. As he approached the gate of the town, a man who had died was being carried out. He was his mother's only son, and she was a widow. And with her was a, la- a large crowd from the town. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion for her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came forward and touched the beer, buyer, beer, do we say beer? Buyer, beer? Beer, okay, beer, beer it is. Uh, touched the beer, and the bearer stood still, and he said, Young man, I say to you, rise. The dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized all of them, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us. And God has looked favorably on his people. This word about him spread throughout Judea and all the surrounding country. 
All right, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand right here. I'm going to count slowly to 10 in my mind. And at the end of that, I'm going to sort of open it up, and you guys just kind of give me some sermon titles. Is that, can we do that? Is that good? All right, so I'm starting right now. Okay, I can't take it anymore. All right, good. Yes, so, go ahead. Risen Dead Guy, Strauss. Awesome, that's a good one, yes. If Strauss, if you were writing for the New York Times, it's a very famous newspaper, you would probably want to go with that. That's, that's, that's going to grab your readers. Good one, yeah. Anybody else? Dead or alive, question mark. Ooh, is he really dead? What does Jesus do? Good one, I like that. That's nice. Yeah, anybody else? Compassion for a mother. That's it, I'm done. You you got it. I'll just sit down now. Good, anybody else? God has looked favorably on his people, yes. Uh, In fact, uh, that is a reference to Jesus, um, the beginning of his public ministry in Luke, where he he quotes from Isaiah and, and proclaims the year of the Lord's favor saying, in my ministry, that's, that's coming to pass. And right here, the people are recognizing that that's true as well. So, yeah, good one. Nice. Anybody else? Okay. Uh, yes. Um, well, it, before I tell you uh, my title, let's, uh, let's do another little imagination game. And this is actually a really helpful tool when you're reading any biblical narrative. Um, if you're reading a story in the Bible, one awesome way to get into the text is to imagine that you are the director, right? You've been asked to make a short movie, and you have to storyboard out what is going to happen in the text, all right? So let's do this together. I'm going to, this is going to be my my shot thing, right? Isn't that what they do, the directors? Like, all right. Soon afterwards, he went to a town called Nain. So it's all on Jesus, right? So you've got the wide shot, There's the town. Jesus is walking towards the town. And his disciples and a large crowd went with him. So we can sort of see that, sort of maybe trailing behind Jesus as he's he's heading towards Nain. And as he approached the gate of the town, gate, uh, a man who had died was being carried out. So we've got the gate, and then right coming out of the gate, we see uh, the beer and, and, and the dead man on it. He was his mother's only son. And she was a widow. Okay, so we got the dead guy. And now, we're looking at her. Uh, when I'm imagining this in my head, and the reason I have to do this is because typically I'm more of a, I, th- I think more abstract. So it's really hard. I, I have to visualize these things to really get them. And so in my, in my mental movie, uh, the widow is being played by a sort of older Winona Ryder. Uh, she's, she's, uh, she's, because Winona Ryder has, she's got the big eyes, but she can also, she's not hysterical, so she's, she's sort of resigned, but maybe like leaking tears just a little bit. Um, if you, in your, in your mental picture, you may want to choose someone who can play hysterical a little bit better, and that's okay. That won't change anything. But for me, it's Winona. So there's Winona. 
She's, she's stalwart. She's resigned. She's in despair. She's a widow, so she's maybe alone, sort of set apart, maybe, from uh, some of the other people. And, and she's looking at the dead man, and it's her only son. With her was a large crowd from the town. Behind her, there's all these people uh, probably coming for the burial procession behind her. But we still got her in the center of the shot, maybe her hands on the, on the beer looking sort of at her son. But right behind her is this, this, this large group kind of following. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion for her and said to her, do not weep. Back to Jesus. Jesus is walking towards the town. He stops. He looks. And you know how they do this in the movies where you, it's like a close-up of his face and then a close-up of her face and then a close-up of his, like back and forth so we can sort of see how they're emoting. That's what's going on here. So uh, Jesus saw her and he has compassion for her. And he says to her, don't cry. Then, He came forward, Jesus walks forward, walks up, touches the bier. The bearers stand still. Everybody's quiet, everything's everything's stopped. And he said, young man, I say to you, rise. The dead man sat up and began to speak. And what does Jesus do? Imagine in your, in your mind, so we have a dead person. He's, coming, he's sitting up, yeah, he's sitting up, and he's, and he's beginning to speak to people, maybe thinking, where am I? How did I get here? I don't know. I don't know what you say when you come back from the dead. But, so he, he begins to speak to people, and, and Jesus sort of, he's got his hand on his beard. He, he sort of takes him by the shoulders, and, and he says, no, 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 you go over here. And he gives them to his mother. There's some interesting pronouns in this text. This dead man, he's described as his mother's only son. And after the the resurrection, Jesus gives him back to his mother. And if you count it, Luke uses the pronoun her, 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 over and over again. In our mind, in the movie, the center of the action is not a resurrection from the dead, although that's pretty awesome, and you need to have that, otherwise there's no movie at all. It's on the changing relationship between this woman and her context, and how God's agent, Jesus, affects that change. So, along with Scott, if I were to title this message... I would call it Jesus Saves a Widow. But what would happen if uh, we played another game, another little mental game? It's a Wonderful Life. Who's seen the movie? Yeah, class. Everybody, have you seen it? Where's everybody? Everybody hasn't seen it. Everybody has a, a number of favorite movies that she's never seen. So, It's a Wonderful Life is one of them. And uh, is it Field of Dreams? She's never actually seen all of Field of Dreams, but it's her favorite movie. Isn't that amazing? Wow. 
Everybody, you're so cute. Uh, it's a Wonderful Life. The premise of the story is uh, George Bailey. Is that his name? George Bailey, Jimmy Stewart. Um, he's just, it, things are going real bad. And he's like, he's like, I just wish I'd never been born. Is that what he says? Or I wish I were dead or something like that. I wish, I wish that, that you could just take me out because the whole world would be a lot better if I weren't around. So let's play It's a Wonderful Life in Maine. Let's imagine what this story would, would look like if Jesus hadn't shown up. So you have Winona. She's with her dead son. There's a crowd of people behind her. Tears coming down. They go, they bury the boy. They return to their homes. There would probably be a, a, about a week where she would be having, it's called sitting shiva. Uh, it's a Jewish tradition where she would... Um, she would, she would be alone in the house and people would come by, but they wouldn't speak to her. They would just sit with her to, uh, to mourn with her. And then after that week had, had, had gone through, and at the time, she would be providing, by the way, uh, the food for people to come. So if, if she had the money, she would do that. They'd sit Shiva. Week would pass. No more people would be coming by. Um, she'd probably be out of money. Uh, if she didn't, she would live on what little she had uh, as um, leftover from when her son was alive. And then she would be reduced to a beggar. Um, she would be living on the charity of the community. And she would probably be without shelter. She would not be able to uh, afford it if um, some rich folk maybe let her sleep you know, near the, their gates or something like that. She might be able to survive. But probably, in all likelihood, she's dead in about two years. You see, when we think of widows, we think about a lot of terrible things. Like, number one, you, you, you're, you're without your spouse. Um, your, your life partner is gone. Uh, your, your subtra- that, that love that you had is, has been subtracted from your life. Yes, granted, absolutely. But in the first century, being a widow was a lot more than that. Because in the first century, you couldn't just... Go get a job. In Nain, the real money was made in agriculture. So unless you could work the fields and till the soil, there was no money to be had. You didn't have property rights as a woman. So when her husband died, that was real bad news. But when her son died, she was on the edge. I've never in my life experienced this, but I know that some of you have, where you're just a couple days away from not making rent, from not this, not that, and you can just see at the end of the month or the week or whatever, it's over. The widow of Nain is maybe two years out. But it's not just economic vulnerability, uh, which, which is something very dangerous. I mean, obviously, it's, uh, it, it can kill you. But it, there's more than just economic vulnerability for a widow in the first century in Palestine. 
there's a thing called social vulnerability. And to help kind of get at it, I'm going to uh, dip back into uh, some of my, my experience from Japan. When I was living in Japan, uh, I, was a, I was known as Dr. Tom, is the loose translation. It was actually Tomu Sensei. And sensei, of course, means teacher. But in their culture, your level as a teacher is roughly equivalent to a doctor. So, I mean, that was awesome because I was, what, 23? And people, <laughs> Dr. Tom, like, oh, please. Do, do go on. Yes. <laughs> and I, the, the most irritating woman I knew for the two years I was in Japan, her name was Ayako-san. Ayako-san was maybe uh, mid to late 30s. Uh, her daughter Chie was in, I think she was in second grade when I, when I first came to Japan, so I saw her go through second and third grade while I was there. And Ayako-san was the only woman in, in, a, uh, in a village of 15,000 people who was divorced. Now that may come as a shock to us where divorce is something relatively normal. Um, but in Japan, uh, because it's an honor-shame culture, there's no... Family units are very, very tight. And divorce is almost unheard of, uh, especially in the rural areas. But Ayako-san was the one lady who was divorced. And let me tell you, the gossip was amazing. Like, you'd, you'd, so Ayako-san, oh yes. Very, very troubling, very sad about her. I hear, I hear her husband uh, just couldn't handle it. You know, this was the sort of the coffee talk chatter. Um, oh, I feel so bad for Chie, having to, to live without a dad. This is the sort of thing you get. But what Ayako-san did to deal with this, because in honor-shame culture, she's obviously been dishonored, so she's a little bit lower than everybody else. So what, what, she had a very good government job. She was actually pretty well-to-do for someone who was divorced. And so she would spend her money uh, inviting people like Dr. Tom out to have dinner with her and her daughter. Now, why would she do that? I mean, granted, yes, very fun, very pleasant, you know, charming dinner conversation, indeed. But really what Ayako-san was after, and I didn't understand this at the time, I picked up on it later, was that when I would go to work on Monday morning, people would say, oh, Tom, what did you, uh, what did you do this weekend? I said, oh, well, I went uh, with Ayako-san to uh, Bikuri Donkey, and we had, uh, you know, a delicious meal. And, oh, Oh, you were with Ayako-san. Oh, interesting. Very interesting. Huh. And then I would be in class, and, uh, and Chie would be there, and, and she would come up and give me a hug. Oh, Dr. Tom, my good friends that I saw this weekend, looking over her shoulder to her, her, her classmates. Like, oh, yeah, you're very cute. Good. Boom. I'm just kidding. I love kids. You can see what she did, though. She used her money to cover up her social problem. She gained honor and status in the eyes of her, her fellows by entertaining people like me and others. She had, she had a, a long list. She, 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 was like, she was a socialite, basically. And so the, the stain of her divorce was pushed to the side. But what would have happened to Ayako-san if she didn't have that government job? She couldn't have hosted any dinners. And I can guarantee you no one was inviting her anywhere. Because why would you do that? Why would you invite 
Ayako's on to dinner. She's a stained woman. And her little brat is out of control. In our It's a Wonderful Life Widow of Nain scenario, something similar happens. Because now she doesn't have a man, and she doesn't have any money. And so she doesn't get invited out anymore. She certainly can't host anyone. But you don't bring her into your home because she can't do anything for you. She shames you by being there. The widow is right on the edge. She's two years from death. And even before death, she's already been ostracized from her community. She's no longer a part of life. And the, and the, Jew, the Jewish idea of shalom is a healthy, full, abundant life. A life of connection and social relations. A life embedded in the worship of the God of Israel. A life of, of health and prosperity. That's shalom. And it's all been taken away. What little hope this woman had was ripped away from her when her son died. And so Jesus, walking to the gate, he looks at her. He sees the situation. And either, sometimes Jesus knows things that he probably wouldn't normally know. Either that, or he can just figure it out. Looking at what he sees, he realizes she's right on the edge. She's, gonna, she's about to fall off. Not today. This tr- the troubling thing, though, about this story is the It's a Wonderful Life version is what we deal with on a, on a regular basis. Remember, there, there was a lot of widows who lost their only sons in Israel at the time of the first century. But only this one got restored. It's a troubling thing. And it continues to this day. But I wonder, I wonder who are the real widows of Orange County, of America, of California, of Southern California, of Coast Bible Church. Remember, a widow isn't just somebody who's lost everyone. In fact, you could be a widow and and have a husband and have children if you're the sort of person who's on the outside, who's on the edge. If you're the sort of person who's not deeply embedded in the social life of the community, if you're not the sort of person who has everything just right. Who are the widows of our family? What would it look like to be a widow here? What would it, what, who are the people who are just not quite inserted just right? Who are they? What do they look like? What are the, what are the markers? What, what, what marks out someone who's just not quite what they're supposed to be? Uh, I, I was um, teaching, well, I was leading a discussion um, on a similar text to this um, a, a week ago, and 
One of the girls in class, she's, uh, she, she's been living in L.A. for a while, and she goes to an L.A. church, like a cool L.A. church, and, and she was like, you know what drives me nuts? When I'm in church, it's all about who's got the coolest nonprofit. I was like, what? She was like, she, she was, she was like in, in the strangest way, everybody in our church is involved in some kind of social justice thing, and there's almost like a hierarchy. You can tell how, how well you're fitting in based on what thing you're doing. And I got to thinking about it. I was like, what a strange thing that we're able to do as people. What a strange thing that no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, there's, we find ways to sort everything out, to filter it out, to figure out who's in, who's out, who's up, who's down. No matter where we are, we, we find a way to do it. We're, we're, we're a strange fallen people. And isn't it strange that Jesus is in the business of erasing those things. He sees a situation where a woman is on the edge. She's been pushed out. She's, where, maybe she was up, but now she's definitely down. Maybe she was in, but now she's definitely out. And he flips everything around in a pretty remarkable and spectacular way. But he flips it around. He turns it upside down. He puts her back where she belongs. Now she has a chance to get invited to the parties. Now she has a chance to, to eat She's not just an object of charity anymore. It's something we have to do as a community. We have to, we have to think about it. Who, who are our widows? Who are they? What do they look like? What marks them? And I want to say this. If you're listening to all this and, and you're thinking to yourself, I don't fit in sometimes. I'm not cool. I'm on the outside. I want you to hear me when I say that our God is the God of the outsiders. Our God is the one who looks at you and has compassion on you and is waiting for an opportunity to turn things around and to put you back in. If you don't believe me, go back to Genesis. When God makes the covenant with Abraham, what does he say? He says, you will be a blessing to all nations. Abraham, you're not just getting children for you. You're getting children so that I can bless the world through you. In Deuteronomy 7, the Lord reminds Israel, I didn't choose you because you were so pretty because you were so numerous. I chose you because you were the opposite of that. In Exodus, the people of Israel cry out, they groan, and, it, and God hears them in their suffering, in their slavery, in their widowness, and says, your time of suffering has ended. And then Elijah, as we heard last week, goes to the, the widow in Sidon, the outsider, the one who's right on the edge, and says, let me put you back in. Jesus isn't doing anything new. This is our God. If you're outside, be ready to be put back in. 
If God is willing to raise the dead, to restore a widow to her community, imagine what he'll do for you. Others of us are not widows, at least not right now. Or maybe we were widows, or maybe we're waiting to become a widow. But right now we're doing okay. That's nice. Are we followers of Jesus? I hope so. If so, what are the implications for us? Jesus, not a, not a widow, not an outsider, has all the power of the Trinity. When he sees a widow, he has compassion, and he does whatever it takes to bring her back in. If we're going to be thinking like Jesus, we need to be looking, discerning for the widows in our community and thinking, how can we invite them to dinner? I'm not suggesting that you actually invite them to dinner, although you might. I'm not, I'm not sure. I don't know, what, I don't know what, that, what it would look like. But to find the markers, the things that put people on the edge, on the outside, and erase them. Because you, like Christ, when you see someone on the edge, have compassion and want to bring them back in. Jesus saves a widow. And I guarantee you, when you save a widow, in the power of the Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus Christ, those who see will be seized with fear. And they will glorify God, saying, a prophet has risen among us, because this isn't normal. And God has looked favorably on his people. The kingdom of God will be with you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for saving widows. We thank you for being the God who finds those who are outside and brings them in. We pray for community discernment, Father, to know who the widows are and to erase those things that keep them on the edge. We love you, Father, because you first loved us that you took us from the outside and brought us into your family. You are our king. And what we do, we do out of love for you. In Jesus' name, amen.